The scripture tonight is from Psalm chapter 34, verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jesse. You can have a seat. I want to, uh, to apologize. Normally, we pride ourselves on kind of being like no frills. I know that's a silly thing to pride yourself on, but we just want to be, we, we want you to get what you see and see what you get. Um, but we do kill these lights normally because nobody likes fluorescence. And, uh, and we just, we forgot to adjust these lights. So I cut them off if you saw when we started worship and Will and everybody else just disappeared. And so we had to turn them back on. So I apologize just because nobody likes fluorescence. Uh, hey, we are going to jump into a new series tonight. And I appreciate so many of you are diligent Bible students. You want to know the word, but also I appreciate that a lot of you are new to Bible study. And so I have three goals really with this, this series. We're going we're gonna to look at a psalm for the next few weeks, a different psalm each week. We're going to study the psalm, number one, that's goal one. Goal two, we want to be able to pray the psalms. The psalms are beautiful to pray. If you've never prayed back scripture to God, it, to give you a really basic human example, sometimes if you tell someone, yeah, but you said, and then you quote them back to themselves, uh, you, you have a little leverage there. Now, it's not like we have this magic pry bar with God to get him to do things, but there is something about knowing his word and saying his own words back to him. And so we want to study the psalm. We want to pray the psalm, but it's amazing how many of these psalms, especially the desert psalms, David wrote a bunch of the Psalms and he wrote them in the desert. That's why we have this as our backdrop for this series. So many of the desert Psalms, God gave a really clear, inspired moment to David when Messiah was revealed to him. And so we see Jesus so clearly in some of these Psalms. So those are the three things we want to, to go backwards. We want to see Jesus in the Psalms. We want to learn to pray the different Psalms and we want to study the Psalms. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do this tonight just a little bit differently than maybe we've done it before. I'm going to, I'm going to try to show you on the screen how I would study this psalm. So one, I just appreciate you being graceful and saying, hey, we'll give you a chance to try a new way to teach something. And two, if it doesn't work, I'll just go back to the normal like thing next week and, uh, and we'll be good to go. But I'll just show you what I mean. Let's go ahead and put up the first part of Psalm 34. It should come, am I not mirrored? 
Am I mirrored? I'm mirrored. Look, there it is. Okay, so this is Psalm 34. I've got the whole thing here. If it makes you dizzy, I won't do that again. But here's the whole, the whole psalm. And so what I want to do is just go in chunks and walk us through verse by verse. This is the way that I learn best when, even when I hear like someone else preaching. If they go verse by verse, it just works better with my mind. Some of you are like, tell me a verse and then like tell stories and other things and illustrate it. I just work better this way, so this is why I teach this way. But as we study this psalm, I'm going to highlight different parts. My Bible is actually marked very similar to how I'm going to mark this. And so I hope that this will help you as we do part one, which is study the psalm. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, would you speak to us through your word as Kate Ann just prayed? Would you move in our hearts? Lord, would you stir us to a great affection for you? And Lord, whether we are here thinking that we know Psalm 34, whether we're here for uh, other reasons, or whether we're here because we're hungry, Lord, help us to all realize that we need to hear from you. So would you surprise us by how you move in our hearts tonight? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So here's what we'll do. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to go through these first three. This is how I would break this psalm down. This is how some commentators break this psalm down. But the first part would be a call to worship. Just a minute ago, Will gave us a call to worship. If you come on, on Sunday mornings, Jordan Coughlin a lot of times or someone else up here will open their Bible and they will read. That is a call to worship. This is David's call to worship. At the beginning of it, though, you see uh, right up at the top, it says of David. We know that he wrote it. We know that this is about when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. We'll get into that. But the actual first verse of the psalm starts right by the, word, by the number 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So David is inviting us into something that sounds pretty magnificent. So let's just see. What does David say that he'll do? First, he says that he will bless. He says that he will praise. He says that he will boast. And he says to magnify. So this is interesting. David says he's going to bless, he's going to praise, he's going to boast, and he's going to magnify. And then he does something interesting. He says, I'm going to bless at all times. He says the praise will be continually. And so what we start to see is that David is opening this psalm and he's saying, this is not a psalm that depends on a season. This is a psalm for every season. We are to bless the Lord and praise the Lord at all times continually. Uh, Will Carlisle, um, you know Will, right, Will? He's like super cool. He leads worship. He stands right here. Will was telling me one day, he was like, you know, I never sleep good on Saturday nights. And I said, yeah, me either. And he said, and then one day, one day, it came to my mind, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I think that was the verse he said. If not, he can correct me later. But he said, so I just decided that that was true, and I was going to believe that, that the joy of God would give me strength on Sunday to plow through the day. And I was like, that is super literal. And I, the reason I thought that's super literal is because I was a little convicted. We need to see these as like, no, 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 this isn't like a nicety. 
This is like real. We are to bless the Lord at all times. We are to praise him continually. And then he says, his soul will boast in the Lord. He says, let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. Now, this is interesting. First, he says right here, he says, something that's telling, he says, my soul. So in verse two, he's talking about him. He's like, I will bless the Lord. My soul will bless the Lord. But then he says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is a fascinating movement. David is saying, hey, I personally will bless the Lord, praise the Lord, extol the Lord all the time. And by doing so, it's not just in my heart. It's with my mouth. It's with my life. And when that happens, as I give testimony to the Lord, I am inviting others to come and join me in this. And he's saying it doesn't matter if it's cool, if it's right, if it fits in, if it fits the the cultural moment or the work moment or the social moment. He said, no, this is who I am. This is the guy that got in trouble for making, uh, you know, like losing some clothes and dancing before the Lord. It's like an old Crowder song that's going through my mind and I won't sing it. But anyway, um, yeah, like this is the guy that like, he was like a leader. But again, this is for all of us. We are all to be leaders for the Lord and say, if he's done something in my life, it doesn't matter if the pull of everything else is this way. If he's called me this way, I'm going this way and I'm talking about it and people can get on board or they don't have to, but I hope they do. I did a little word study on one other word in here. I did a word study on this word bless because it's all through the Bible. To bless the Lord is not an option. You and I, Christian or not, in a good spot in your faith or not, you and I only have two options. We either bless the Lord by proclaiming his goodness, living in his instruction, modeling who he's called us to be, or we, go ahead, fill in the blank. We do what? We bless or we... It's actually not curse. The true biblical opposite of bless, Kevin, here comes the swear word. The true biblical opposite of bless, I told Kevin I was gonna say a swear word tonight. The biblical opposite is to damn. And that's not me being crass, that is the biblical opposite. Think about this, these are your two options. We either bless the Lord or the, the curse word that makes everyone cringe, GD, that is the opposite, and your life is only one of the two. My life is only one of the two. We can never live in the middle. I just thought that was so strong when I started doing a little homework on that word. Man, I, I, in fact, Heather was asleep last night. We had a late night. We had an elders meeting and it was a late night and I got home and I did some studying and I went into the bedroom and Heather was like trying to sleep and I said, you will not believe what the opposite of bless is. She was like, just go to sleep, sweetheart. Um, but like, it was just so striking because I thought, I thought indifference is fine. Like everybody's a little indifference every once in a while. But it's either bless or, or, or to damn. 
Let us be the people that bless the Lord and invite other people to bless him. And then this next part is David's testimony. So he invites us to worship. Then he gives us testimony. And in his testimony, he says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers him. There's one commentary that I was reading. And the title of it, the title of Psalm 34 that commentator gave was this poor man. He calls this the poor man's cry, this whole psalm. And he gets it from this one line in verse 5, that David calls himself a poor man. But let's just see. Let's see what David does here. He, he only does a couple of things. One, he seeks the Lord. And then he says, this poor man cried to the Lord. And that's pretty much what he says he does. Now, this is important as you're looking at the psalm, as you're trying to understand the psalm, as you're trying to break it down. You ought to, I heard John Piper say one time, he said, some of you wonder why I preach the kind of sermons that I preach and you want to copy my sermons and you want to, like it was like the kind of things like you can't say out loud. It was at a preacher's conference and he said, it's because I gnaw on the scriptures like a dog chews a bone and I try to get every drop of marrow I can out of it. If you know John Piper, you're like, you can hear him saying it. And it was like, he never looked up. I'm sure he was just like looking down at his manuscript. But I think that as you, as you dig into these Psalms, they're so rich, you ought to gnaw on these like a bone and you ought to say like, what is man's response? What is God's obligation? What does God always do? What are we supposed to do? And this is what David said. He said, I sought the Lord and what does God do? This is so interesting. He seeks the Lord, God answers him, God delivers him, God changes countenance. He removes shame. This poor man, he cried to the Lord. The Lord hears him. The Lord saves him. And the angel of the Lord encamps around him. The one other thing that we have in here that he does or that he recommends, he says you've got to do is to fear the Lord. So there's three things. Sorry, I knew I missed something. There's three things here. David sought the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He feared the Lord. But look at all the things that the Lord does. He answers him. He delivers him. He makes his face radiant. I remember seeing some old pictures of Heather before we met. And uh, you shouldn't sit on the front row, sweetheart. You're just like right there. I just keep seeing you. But I remember seeing these pictures and I was thinking like, this, this doesn't totally look like Heather. What is the difference? And the difference where those pictures were taken when she was in a life that was consumed in herself. She was not at all living for the Lord. And it was so striking to see some of the old photos of her and then to see the Heather that I met when I met her. It is a real thing that God changes a person's countenance. And you ought to ask yourself, like, what's my mug saying to people? Like, do I show on my face? Do I show in my posture? Do I show, like, in the way I carry myself? Do I show the confidence of the Lord? Do I show the joy of the Lord? Do I show the strength of the Lord? Do I show the righteousness of the Lord? Because these are things that he does. So he seeks the Lord. God answers God delivered him. This is interesting. He delivers him from his fears. So God delivers him from his fears. And God, in verse 6, saves him from his troubles. This is so fascinating to me. There's two really, really important words in here. 
This poor man, that's one of the words that I want to bring out. And the other one is this word fears here. So poor and fears. Sorry, I just marked all over fears. So fears, the Hebrew definition It's the dreaded things. Do you have any dreaded things in your life? Like sometimes it's the dentist, I get it. Sometimes some of you are dentists and you're like, don't dread me. Um, We all do, I'm so sorry. Um, But sometimes it's like the doctor's report. Sometimes it's the phone call, sometimes it's It's your status in relationship. Sometimes it's the job. But it says that he delivered him from the dreaded things. And do you know what the word poor, I'm not sure why we translated this in English, but most English translations use the word poor. The word poor in Hebrew is actually depressed. And I think this is so interesting. This depressed man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. So look, if you come here tonight, and you've got a few dreaded things going on, if you've got a little bit of the depression creeping in, like it would be nicer to stay at bed or stay in bed or stay at home or any of those things, you're in the right spot. Because David says, when I was running from Saul in 1 Samuel 21, that's what this whole psalm's about. I had no food. I had no friends. I was all alone. And the story in 1 Samuel 21 is David ran to, to Gath and King Achish was there in Gath, and David, on the way to run away from Saul, runs to the thing about Gath and Achish, that's the home of of Goliath. That's the home of the Philistines. David's last resort in life became his only resort. The only place he had to run was to his greatest enemy's home to try to find some sort of hiding It's like if you had to go to your ex and it was a super messy breakup and it was the last place you had or that family member who you don't like talking to or the boss that fired you or whatever it was, if you had to go to that place, this is where David is. It's a terrible moment in his life. These are dreaded things, and he is depressed. On the way there, he stops at, uh, by one of the priests. The priest gives him some, some bread. Jesus talks about this moment. But not only that, he gets Goliath's sword. It's his only weapon. So he carries the sword of the giant that he killed to the people of the giant. And he walks up there in 1 Samuel 21, and the people are like, what in the world? David's showing up here. We're going to kill him. He's at the lowest point in his life. In fact, there may, the only place he may have ever been lower was when he, he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. That may be the only point that was lower for him in his whole life because when he got there and the king said he was going to kill him, the Bible says that he let spit run down his beard and he clawed on the walls. And the king said to him, Do I not have enough madmen in my kingdom? 
don't bother me with this guy. David literally had to act crazy at this point in his life. And he said, in that moment, he sought God. God heard him. God delivered him from the dreaded things. His countenance was changed. He cried out to the Lord, and God heard him. God saved him from all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And then we get to this famous verse. Again, Kate Ann prayed this verse over us tonight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I just want you to be aware that this, this movement of God reaching down to humans has always involved an opportunity for something physical. When the temple came around, there was this thing called the peace offering. The peace offering, it's in Leviticus 3. This was an offering that was given to God, but then the people could eat. Some of the people could eat of it, and they could taste that God gives us peace. In Ezekiel, there's honey. When God gives Ezekiel his word, he says, eat it, and it was like honey to his lips. Here's a challenge for you. Tomorrow morning, if you open up your Bible, or sometime tomorrow if you're going to read it, I challenge you to go in the kitchen, rummage around. It's okay if it's a roommate's. It's just one little bit. They'll, like, it's for the Lord. It's, it's fine. Um, but I challenge you to get, like, a little bit of honey. Now, this is going to, you're going to feel silly doing this, but I challenge you to get, like, a little bit of honey. I was in a room one time when we did this. Just taste a little bit of honey. And then begin to read the Bible. Look, I'll make you a deal. If we have any honey in the house, I will do this tomorrow morning, just so like we're, we're doing this together. I will taste the honey and just know that this is what the Word of God is supposed to taste like. And then you can imagine the third tier. Communion. Every Sunday here at Christ's Covenant that we don't have a baptism, we serve communion. And why do we serve communion? It's to remember the body and the, the blood of Christ. But what happens? We get to taste and we see that God is good as we remember his sacrifice for us. The problem with being Western is that we're Western. Like everything's metaphorical. Everything's like, yeah, but what does it really mean? Like this is what it means. This is an Eastern book. It's concrete. It's clear. So I challenge you to, to literally, next time you have communion, tomorrow morning if you read your Bible, sometime tomorrow if you read it, take a little bit of honey, remember communion, and just say, Lord, thank you for letting me taste and see that you are good. I want you to... I actually do want to show you one quote. This is from one of the commentaries. It's, it's uh, James Montgomery Boyce. And he says, The end of the psalm points that David's circumstances did not immediately change. He was still a fugitive. He was still in danger. For at least a time, he was still alone. But God did deliver him from Achish. That is, he preserved his life. And his grim circumstances did begin to change. That is important. 
The promise of prayer does not mean that God will change every difficult thing in your life, but he will preserve you for as long as he has work for you to do. He will transform even the difficult circumstances by his presence and perhaps by the presence of others whom he sends to be with you. Moreover, he will do this even if you are unable to see it for a long time. Isn't it incredible to know that as David wrote, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He was still an exile on the run. What if God doesn't change your circumstances, but he lets you be able to say this? Imagine that. The Lord delivered me from all my fears and I'm still here. In Philippians 4, it says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that God changes all of your circumstances as soon as you begin to fear God and to cry out to him. That's another beautiful truth behind this psalm. The next section of this psalm is really the idea of fearing the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. What is man? What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's a few things in here that I want to point out to you. One, this idea of fearing the Lord. We saw it in Job. We saw it in Revelation. We saw it in the Exodus. To fear God means to rightly view him. And if I rightly view him, then my life begins to respond to him. And then he says something very interesting about those who fear him. They have no lack. And then he has a weird verse about lions. And then he goes and he says, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So what is this deal right here about the young lions? If I was taking notes in my Bible, if I had a Bible that I like to really mark up, I would probably do something like this. I would circle it and write a question mark. And if I, if I have an idea of how to study this, I would say, wait a minute, let's look at verses 9 and then the last part of verse 10 because they seem to say the same thing. If you fear God, you have no lack. If you seek the Lord, you have no lack. But the people in the middle have lack. Do you see it? The people in the middle have lack. Those who fear the Lord have no lack. Those who seek the Lord have no lack. So I rightly view God. God's going to meet my needs. I seek God with all of my heart. We know this from the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is a common Bible theme. You seek God. God takes care of you. That is a common Bible theme. It is, it is in most every book of the Bible, this, either word for word or this idea. So who are these young lions? The young lions are the people that are like, I can figure this out on my own. Young lions wander off into the wilderness because they're like, I don't need mom anymore. I can hunt by myself. Sometimes mom lets them go hunt to see if they can come back with any food. Young lions starve all the time. 
because they feel like I can, I, I got the world by the tail. I can do it all on my own. Once again, he's giving a polarizing statement, just like at the beginning. You are either a young lion or you are one who is fearing and seeking the Lord. There is no in-between. So ask yourself, which one are you? Does your life seek the Lord above all else or are you the captain of your own ship? If you're the captain of your own ship, then what, what this says will happen to you. You will suffer hunger and want. And why would you suffer hunger and want? Because that is God's way to get your attention to say, hey, you're seeking the wrong thing. Seek me. And he says, look, I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you how to fear the Lord at the end of verse 11. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Here's how you do this. Here's how you seek the Lord super practically. You're going to do just a couple of things when you seek the Lord. You're going to keep your tongue from evil. You're going to watch what you say. You're not going to lie. You're going to turn from evil. You're going to do good. You're going to seek peace and you're going to pursue it. Look, this is super practical. This is if you are a Christian, here's your steps. He gives them to you right here. This is David saying, look, here's what you do. You watch what you say. What, does you, what do you say like most of the day? What comes out of your mouth when you're at work, when you're with your friends? Are you, are you truthful? But the one that I really want to bring out to you is this, because I've, I've had enough conversations with some of you that I think this is one for us. And I pray every week. I'm like, Lord, what do we need for our group? What do we need for us? And I really feel like this is one of the things. This one right here. Peace. You probably know the Hebrew word for it. Shalom. How many of those people in your life who have pushed you out of your kingdom, so to speak, like David had happened to him, do you pray blessings over? Do you ask God to move in their life? Do you seek their good? One of the breakthroughs for a Christian is when they let God sort out other people's lives and they respond with gentleness and kindness. Romans 12, the whole end of the chapter, go read it. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In doing so, you'll be heaping hot coals on the people's head. That's what you want anyway. You want to put some hot coals on their head anyway, right? Like, but the way you do it is kind of backwards. The way you do it is you love, for, you love them, you pray for them, you encourage them, you build them up. And I know there's all kinds of complications with that. But that's what we're supposed to do. And I want to just give you that word because I think for some of you, that's what you needed. That's the whole reason you're here. There's, you're wondering why you're stuck spiritually. You can't seem to get past this certain place. There's some strongholds in your life that can't be broken down. More than likely, it's because there's a root of bitterness that has grown up in your life and it only is directed towards one or two people and those one or two people have a stronghold over you and you will never get to that next place with the Lord. This psalm won't come true for you until this begins to happen. We get to the next to last section here. This section is how God delivers. 
So the last section was on how we fear God. This section is on how God delivers us, those who are fearing him. And it says that the eyes of the Lord, I love this, Second Chronicles 16, 9, some of you know that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him, that he might support them. This is an echo of that verse. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. This is beautiful. I just want you to see the words here. The eyes are toward his ears are toward. So if you're this person that's seeking peace, watching how you act, trying to live the Lord, calling out to him, crying out to him, his eyes are toward you. He sees you. His ears are toward you. But what about those people? Maybe that person that gave you the unrest in the first place. This is the Lord's job, not your job. I know some of you <clears throat> are just like, vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord. I just want to be about the Lord's work. I get that. Uh, and so you're like in the vengeance business. But the deal is the Lord is in the vengeance business. And it says the face of the Lord is against. Do you see the difference? He's toward, he's toward, but here he's against. We want the face of the Lord to be not against us. We want his ears and his eyes to be toward us. He cuts off the memory of the unrighteous from the earth, but the righteous cry. There's that word again. The righteous cry for help, and the Lord hears. He delivers. Did you know this psalm is very interesting? It has the word deliver in it four times. God delivers, and it says it four times. God delivers, he delivers, he delivers, he delivers. And four times in this psalm, we're told to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord. It is not by mistake that four times, David says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God will deliver you. He's got this. He's going to take care of this in some way, shape, or form. He's going to take care of this. Four times he says it. And simultaneously, four times he says, your job, fear God, fear God. Fear God, fear God. That's part of the beauty when you start to break these psalms down. And then this last verse, this last verse in this section. It's one of my favorite verses. It's also a special verse to a lot of folks that we've been able to minister to over the years because this is a verse that oftentimes when I'm standing by a casket, I will use Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The two key words in this passage, or in this verse, brokenhearted and crushed, some of you can totally relate to. In English, it's spread out over a longer period of time than in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the idea is you've been broken so badly, you're just a pile of dust. Now, some of you are familiar with the story in Ezekiel where the Lord says to Ezekiel out in the valley, he sees a bunch of dry bones and he says, Ezekiel, can you make flesh come on these bones? And Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. And the Lord said, speak to the bones, Ezekiel. And the bones begin to come together and they had flesh and they came to life. This verse tells us, verse 18, no matter how crushed you've been or are, the Lord is in the business of reviving dead things. 
And then we get to the end of the chapter, and it's a beautiful conclusion. It's a confusing conclusion. Uh, verse 20 is often, uh, often quoted because it's in John chapter 19, verse 36. This is a verse that's in one of the Gospels. But I'll just read you the text. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. Now, this is interesting. I want to just take you back just real quick to a few other verses. So what, don't look up if you get a little nauseated. Here's what happens. It says this. It says, the Lord delivered me. So in verse 4, God delivers who? Who's this psalm about? David. That's right. Good. Okay. The Lord delivers David in verse 4. Now, in verse 7, it says, the Lord delivers them. This is interesting. So who are the them? These are all the people like me and you that fear the Lord. So the Lord delivered David. The Lord delivered them. If we go down to verse 17, it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. So once again, the Lord delivers them. So the Lord delivered David and the Lord delivers us. But we get something very interesting. David's like gone off, off into a strange place in this last little bit of the psalm. And it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers. It's a him. It's just him. This is where the psalm gets super interesting. The Lord delivers me, David. The Lord delivers them, us. The Lord delivers him. Who's him? Where did David go in the last part of this psalm? So David was a shepherd, right, before all this happened? Do you remember where David was a shepherd? He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem. What big giant building that a bunch of priests went to was in Jerusalem? Catherine? The temple. Yes. Okay, this is quiet crowd. I like this. This is good. It's like, it's, it's fine. I like the quiet crowd. So we're, he's in, he, 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 he lives right by the temple, five miles from the temple. He, he takes care of sheep five miles from the temple. Track with me here. To go, to, to have a sheep that would go to the temple, one, you would need a town close by. Well, Bethlehem fit it. It was close by. So Bethlehem would be the town that most of the sheep that would go to the temple would come from. Now, Sheep that would go to the temple, they had to be perfect and starts with an S, ends with a uh, otless, yeah, spotless, that's right. That, that's right. They, they had to be spotless. And so the sheep that had to go to the temple had to be spotless. Now, if, if, if one of those sheep ever broke a bone, let's say, even if the bone healed perfectly, the priest would touch the, all the legs, the back, the ribs. They would touch the sheep all over to make sure there were no knots where a bone had healed back. Now, David, out in the desert, is writing this psalm. He's on the run. He sees this incredible vision from the Lord in this last part of the psalm, and he sees this, this, this perfect lamb that doesn't have any bones broken that maybe one day could deliver all the people from their troubles. 
The Lord delivers us from our troubles, but we're still kind of stuck here. But maybe God has a plan one day for there to be a perfect lamb, the lamb to end all lambs that goes to the temple without even a broken bone. Maybe that's the lamb that could really deliver me from all my troubles. But many will that lamb's afflictions be. He's going to be righteous. He's going to be perfect without blemish. Many are his afflictions, but the Lord will deliver him out of all of them. He's going to keep all of that lamb's bones and not one of them will be broken. Now, affliction is going to slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned, but the Lord will redeem the life of his servants and how he's going to redeem the life of his servants through this lamb without the broken bones. And how does a lamb give, give itself to people? That lamb is crucified one day. It's killed. And as a result... Because he's killed, their lives are going to be redeemed. And you know what? He's going to receive the condemnation. And so this psalm ends with the greatest promise of all promises. That yes, you and I may have trouble, but Jesus had plenty of troubles. And God will deliver us from some of our moments of angst and trouble here. But one day, because 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was condemned so that we don't have to be. We become redeemed. He becomes condemned. And therefore, we are set free forever and ever and ever. That's the beauty of this incredible psalm. And so, as we close tonight, if I had to divide it into two lists, what I do and what God definitely will do. Me, I need to always bless the Lord at all times, no matter what my circumstances are. I need to cry out to the Lord, not these little half-hearted dinnertime prayers. I need to cry out to the Lord. When was the last time you gave God a good cry? When was the last time you, you, you went off into the wilderness as Jesus did and you just prayed? You didn't even tell your roommates where you were going. You were just, you were just gone because you needed the Lord that bad. I need to fear the Lord, meaning I need to see him rightly and honor him with all that I've got. And I need to expect trouble there's one quote from uh, Boyce. It's a short quote. He said, deliverance is one thing, exemption is another. We don't need to, uh, to expect that God is always going to, to deliver us or, or to give us exemption, but he will deliver us. I need to expect that he will deliver me either now or ultimately. And the last thing is I need to have hope and gratitude in the lamb whose afflictions were many but he remained unstained. And what can I expect of God according to this psalm? I can expect that God's gonna hear. I can expect that God's gonna deliver. I can expect that he's gonna be near. I can expect his peace. 
and I can trust his Jesus. If you want to dive back into the 90s on your way home, just look up Rich Mullins. There's bound to come some trouble in your life. Will's in the back shaking his head. It's a great song. Rich Mullins' whole song is, there's bound to come some trouble in your life, but that ain't nothing to fear. And he says that a few different ways, but I love that line, there's bound to come some trouble in your life, but that ain't nothing to fear. And then he says, sometimes people will tell you, maybe it'll be okay, maybe if you just pray tomorrow, it'll be fine. He said, but sometimes maybes aren't enough. But at the end of the day, I've always got the man himself, Jesus, whose arm I can reach out and grab, knowing that he went through all the troubles and never buckled, and he will redeem me ultimately, and maybe he'll redeem me now. But in him I hope and trust, and that is where my peace is. Let me pray for us. We're going to worship together, and I hope you can call out to the Lord some of what we just heard in this psalm. Father, we're excited to taste and see that you are good. Physically, the next time we open our Bible, we have some honey. We can taste and see that you are good. But Lord, we also want to cry out to you. Let us, let us admit that we are poor people. Some of us are broken and crushed in spirit. We're just a pile of dust. God, would you hear us as we call out to you with all of our hearts? Would you redeem us? Would you rescue us? Would you give us a new appreciation for the fact that Jesus became condemned so that I don't have to be condemned? Lord, you are so good to us in revealing yourself to David out in the wilderness and now showing us yourself here. Lord, we thank you. Give us grace to fear you and Lord, may you deliver by your strong hand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.